Are you dreaming of traveling again? You may have seen videos or read about this amazing place and are intrigued about it. Yes, the Galapagos is all you've read, seen and learned about. Hello and welcome to TripCast 360, the podcast of lively banter about travel, tourism, and entertainment. This is Michael Gordon Bennett coming to you from Las Vegas, and I am joined, as always, by the Barbados Flash via the snowy <laughs> Big Apple, Dave Cumberbatch. And uh, you can hear him laughing in the background, but um, today's show is... is uh, is the adventure of all adventures. It's uh, arguably the single most unique travel destination on the planet. For those of you who remember your high school or college science classes, Charles Darwin back in 1859 became famous for a book about these islands entitled The Origin of Species. The book has since been the seminal studies on evolution. And our guest has actually been to the Galapagos Islands, and we'll bring her on in just a moment to discuss her magnificent journey. Dave, I think you're going to want to uh, get on that boat and head over, man. Yeah, I'm all ready to go. Uh, she's uh, She has traveled there. She knows it. She understands it. And apart from that, she's a very good travel writer. So I'm all excited to yeah, hear she's, what she She's probably out there. If I know her, she's probably out there dancing with the penguins, trying to give them a glass of wine, <laughs> you know, trying to feed the turtles, which we all know is illegal as hell. But, <laughs> but no, seriously, she's an environmentalist too, so she's not going to mess with them. She didn't bring the trash over and leave it there like some crazy Americans would probably do. So, <laughs> so yeah, you can hear her laughing in the background too. I'll bring her on in just a second. Hey, uh, before we get started. Um, I mentioned in last week's podcast that uh, when, yes, we have a new administration for those of you who have been uh, living under a rock. Um, <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, Joe Biden did Im uh, immediately was um, introduce some travel restrictions. And I mentioned we were going to discuss them. But af as I started reading up on all the travel restrictions from places around the world, we could spend 10 hours just discussing that. So I'm not going to get into the weeds too much on that. Just know that the travel restrictions for Americans coming from places around the world in terms of, you know, having proof of a negative COVID test before you arrive in the United States uh, is applicable to U.S. residents of the U.S. as well if you're coming from an overseas destination. Everything else, just go to the State Department website, <laughs> uh, travel.state.gov and get the rest of the information because I don't want to get bogged down, but those restrictions that were announced apply to Americans coming back to the U.S. from Europe and Brazil and places like that as well. So don't think they don't apply to you. Uh, Michael, I'll tell you something. The United States is late in that effort. The rest of the world had those restrictions long ago. That if you come in there, you must get a, uh, I think it was a 72-hour uh, COVID test report before you can enter. Yep. Why were we just letting folks in the United States? I, without I, I, I think you know the answer to that question. <laughs> there's there's some guy hanging out down in South Florida. I think you I think you know who he is. Uh, I'm not going to say his name on on the air because I don't want to give him any more airspace. But yeah, I think you got it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think that. Uh, uh, that goes into a long way, but you know, it, you know, it looks like we're starting to get a handle on the vaccination part of this, which I hope and pray we can get back to some travel, at least domestically, 
um, you know, sometime this summer. You know, if we can do that, that will be a major win-win. But we can't ignore the rest of the world either because their issues with the pandemic actually affect us. Certainly. So, you know, that's that. Anyway, let's uh, jump into today's topic. Uh, And uh, before I jump on that, let me do my typical, you know, housekeeping notes. Uh, You can catch our podcast, TripCast360, on our website, TripCast360.com. But we're also available on every single podcasting outlet you can think of, from Spotify to iTunes to iHeartRadio to Google. Uh, We're on all of them. So uh, subscribe, share, like us, leave us some comments, tell us what you think. Um, If you have any uh, suggestions for topics, we are glad to hear them. And so uh, uh, we invite all of you to join us. And Dave, why don't you uh, hit them with our social media handles? And yes, we are on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Follow us, like us, message us, and yes, tag us. And to begin receiving our newsletter, please go to our website, tripcast360.com, and sign up. It has lots of great information, including travel these you might want to consider. And and lastly, I know we've been promising for about two months now our photo of the month contest. We are working on that. We haven't forgotten uh, everything that's happened with COVID and, and the massive amount of uh, uh illness throughout the country over the holidays kind of slowed us down as well. So we're working on it. We promise we'll get to it. Uh, And now let's get on with today's show. We are delighted to welcome back one of our favorite guests, Catherine Parker-Megyar. Catherine is a New York-based writer covering travel, lifestyle, and culture. Her works have appeared in Architectural Digest, Forbes, The Week, Business Insider, Chip Savvy, The Daily Beast, Elite Daily, and more. She loves to travel because she likes meeting new people and experiencing different cultures. Her parents took her to the Arctic Circle when she was only 14 months old, and she's been traveling ever since. I believe she's been to six of the seven continents, 63 countries in all 50 states and counting. And frequent listeners to this podcast might remember Catherine from our season one episode, Distant Adventures for the Intrepid Traveler, where we discussed everything from husky sleigh rides through the Arctic forest of Finnish Lapland to sailing the Rio Negro to the heart of the Brazilian Amazon. Catherine, 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 what's up? (laughs) Hi, thank you for that introduction. I'm so excited to be back here with you guys. Uh, We won't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, uh, Catherine. Michael mentioned at the beginning of the show that the Galapagos Islands are chain. Uh, well, actually, Michael mentioned that we will we'll be focusing on those chains of islands. The, the islands are a chain of volcanic islands that, that sit in the Pacific Ocean, about 500 miles, I read, off the coast, yes. of, off the coast of Ecuador. We learned that Charles Darwin visited the islands in 1835 his observation of the Galapagos species later inspired his theory of evolution. Considering the stated stated facts, why are the Galapagos Islands so important? So the Galapagos Islands are so important. First, on a conservation level, when you visit the Galapagos Islands today, I visited right before you know, this biblical plague kept us at home. So I was there December, 2019. It is truly stepping into another world because Ecuador 
was really spectacular with the way that they preserved these islands. And when I say that they preserved these islands, I mean, you're going to swim and sea lions aren't going to, ex animals interact with you as if you are not an enemy. It's absolutely insane. And there's nothing like that anywhere else in the world. Wow. So they, you have these protected species that only exist in the Galapagos Islands that look like other animals, but they've adapted to life on these islands. And, you know, they started out their volcanic islands as are the Canary Islands. So, and some of them are still are like very lush and very green, but others over evolution over the years have evolved into just being a very dramatic, like jutting rock from the ground. And then they're a host to these species that have totally adapted to life that way. So you have these, um, these birds that don't fly, you know, and then you have like, wow. and then you have these crap, I don't everything. I think the most famous animals on the Galapagos Islands are the boobies, the blue footed boobies, the red footed boobies. You have all of these different types of birds that only live there, that only exist there because they've adapted to life there. And so, and from a conservation from basically what makes it important beyond the fact that it's still helpful for researchers, for scientists, and is also, it's this part, it's almost like the, the, the land that time didn't touch in a way, in terms of the human population interacting with the animal population. It's, I can't even, I was trying to think about the best way to explain my trip there, because, you know, I have been to some really, it's really spectacular places. Like I've been to the Himalayas, um, you know, I've been to the Arctic, I've been to the Amazon. I would say almost the closest thing to to um, where I was would almost be the Amazon rainforest going deep into the rainforest where there are no roads, there's no cell service. You know, there's no Wi-Fi. People are living the same way that they did hundreds of years ago, but on a totally different level with you're stepping into another world with the, with the animals that you're around and the things that you're seeing. Like if you hit one of those giant sea turtles on, um, on Santa Cruz islands, you're fine. Like $5,000. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, they're, they are so dedicated to, um, to sort of keeping the integrity of the islands. And obviously that comes with 2021 challenges where you have the people who are born on the Galapagos Islands and they're trying to figure out ways, you know, the youngest, the newest generation, they, not everyone can stay living on the Galapagos. Like they need to keep the population down and the culture there is fascinating. And the person, my main guide and I'm going to have to give you his full name and notes or like in the notes of this podcast, because anyone who goes to Galapagos must email. I'm going to share his email as well. I know him as Champy because that is how he introduced himself to me and how in every single note and every photo, I'm like, oh, Champy. But it's for the Galapagos champion. And he is like, that's just his nickname. Everyone knows him as that there. And he is just fascinating in terms of talking about, you know, how he's so dedicated to islands. It's so exciting to be, to be working there, but also the biggest threats to Galapagos Islands are humans and how do, how are we going to protect it moving forward? And I don't know if we'll touch on, we could touch on this later, I guess, with a little yes, bit about definitely. how travelers Well, we'll go into the whole like economics of the place too. Cause you know, I've been to country, you know, you go to, I think certain places in Africa have done such a wonderful job with their game reserves with their, with, okay, it's going to cost a premium to visit this place. And that's because it shouldn't just be the right of any human to just go trample there. Do you know what I mean? Like, and, or also the local economy. I guess the best example would be Bhutan to Nepal. In Bhutan, you have to pay a permit per day to go to travel there. And it's very expensive and that makes it prohibitive. But that also means that the, that, um, the Himalayas and that sort of a lot of Tibetan culture is very well preserved. 
Nepal, um, which is one of the best places I've ever visited in my entire life. But it's a race to the bottom with the economy there where there's like a lot of the economies actually outsourced where like people will go work and for example, and this can be really dangerous, go work in Qatar or something and buy, and they end up sort of indentured servants sending money back home. And Nepal has got all these amazing natural resources, but because it's such a poor economy and people, people tend not to charge much for the hotels they stay in. And so my whole story that I've been doing is like, these are the luxury places to stay in Nepal, but like there's an ethical reason why you shouldn't spend $10 a day on a hotel. The person, if you're spending $10 a day, which is less than you'd spend back home in America, how are these people going to feed their families? So, and that's sort of what's happening right now too in the Galapagos, that they're talking about how there needs to be a way, there needs to either, because it's, there needs to be a higher price maybe for entry right now. And also because if you're from Ecuador, if you're from a lot of places in South America, it requires a visa to even go to the United States. So trying to figure out ways to make that more equitable, which I guess is more of a tourism conversation. Right. I read uh, where uh, Michael, sorry about that. Just want no, to follow ahead. up. No, go ahead. Follow, yeah, there. I read where 97% of the islands is a national park. Yes. How many how, how many islands are there? And I mean that's that's a that's a huge percentage of any group of islands just to be a national park. It's spectacular. There so there are 13 main islands. And then there, but then if you like, look, there are a ton of, there are over, there are dozens of like tinier islands as well. The main islands that, um, one of the main islands that I stayed on, I stayed at Pacaya Lodge, which is the first like luxury eco lodge. A lot of people who go to the Galapagos cruise the whole time, which is also another really cool way to see it. But what was nice about Pacaya was that you had this sort of like, you had a home base on Santa Cruz Island, which is turtle heaven. Like literally walking around the property, just there are just these giant tortoises who are, I mean, they're probably my favorite animals actually on the Galapagos. They never move. You know what I mean? They're just hanging out. They're obscenely sized, you know, and like any, they would be extinct if they would be extinct, if they existed anywhere else, because they are so easy to hunt and you know what I mean? And it's, they require a lot of space. So yeah, there, but there are overall, like of the 13 main ones, like the most the most famous ones I'd say, you know, there's Isabella, there's the Darwin Island, which is pretty much like this, like, it looks like an arch that actually used to exist in Malta. Um, Santa Cruz, San Cristobal, Isabella, Bartolome is actually is really famous because I'm trying to think of how I could describe what these structures look like. It basically, if you've been to Baja, California, um, and you know, that is actually where they filmed Master and Commander, which is, which is about the Galapagos. So that would be a close, a close description. It's the color of the water there and the color that like seeing it in person, it is so vibrant and so unique. Like Galapagos isn't like, and I know, I think it's Schitt's Creek in the finale or the season <laughs> before the finale. He's like, I'm going to Galapagos and Alexis, who I love was like, oh my God, like, okay, I'm going to get a tan, blah, blah, blah. And I, I spiritually identify a bit with Alexis, but I, I did. I loved the Galapagos. But it's a different, yeah, it's more, it's more of an adventurer's vacation. And you, you also have to dedicate a specific amount of time. Like I was there for a week and I felt like I saw so much. But then, you know, if you want to be going to some of the further off, further afield islands, particularly if you want to see some sharks, some sharks and some whales, you might maybe two weeks. But I got my diving license after going to the Galapagos because 
you could do Galapagos is the best snorkeling in the entire world. And I've snorkeled like the ABC, like the three biggest reefs, like Australia, Belize, Turks and Caicos. But the Galapagos, with the snorkeling, sea lions are like very playful and they're huge and they come up to you and they have these like, you know, they have fangs. It can be scary for a second. But I jumped in the water and this sea lion just came right up to me twirled around me and then I sort of twirled around back and then I was like just be chill be chill and then just came in and then swam beneath me and like it was it was insane you know what I mean because nowhere else is in if you if you go to like northern California you're not going to get close to a sea lion and if you do they're going to attack you because they're going to protect themselves because they've been hunted to be able to interact with animals in a setting in which like you're just a peaceful fellow animal is crazy (laughs) <laughs> wow. I, I guess that explains the, uh, you had mentioned at the top of the podcast about the interaction with the animals and the fact that most of them have no fear. Oh of, my God, yes. Um, uh, whether you're on land or in the water, uh, when you take a, a trip to the Galapagos, do you actually get to interact with some of the animals on a more intimate basis or do they try to keep you away from them as much as possible? So they try to keep you, it's the way, the way that the islands are able to continue to exist like this is because they have these regulations where, you know, you can't get close and you in, but you get close in some ways when they just come up. I mean, I was at the a fish market and, you know, there was just like a ton, a ton of just, you know, it was a fish market. There was a ton of dead fish, just a ton of seafood for sale. And I was just, you know, I was a little tired. I said, I was sitting down on the ground, (laughs) like on the deck, you know, we were listening to someone talk and then I hear a splash and the seal has just jumped onto the dock and it's like far away from me. I'm looking over, I'm like, oh, and it just starts to waddle towards me and hop towards me slowly. And then it just kept getting closer. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to sit here. And it was looking at me. I was looking at him. I got it. I got a male energy. I don't know. And then he just hopped right next to me. And then they're like, ah, like you got to go away. And then my champion was like, he, he approached, he, he came to her, you know, but it was just, it's crazy. Like, yeah, you do have those moments, but there are these pictures when he was probably sitting five feet away. You know, we were on a huge dock. There were, it was just me and him on the dock. Everyone else was up by the market and we're just looking at each other, just existing. (laughs) I'm like, I've had those, you know, I've had, I, I love animals and I love, and I feel like I've had those moments other places, like some like moments like that, I guess. Like I really, I fell in love with all the llamas and alpacas in Peru, you know, but that was different because they were, you know, they were sort of our, they were sort of our Sherpas, like carrying our stuff. You know, they didn't really have a choice. It wasn't like a seal coming and hopping next to you. But it's more like you also, you get these quiet moments. There's no Wi-Fi, which I think is such a spectacular situation, but there is on, and I'll tell you more about where I stayed because I think that actually the trip I did could be ideal for people who want to go to the Galapagos, but they might be a little bit nervous about maybe they get seasick. Maybe they don't know which cruise to take. I think it's a cool option, but you know, you can walk around. I forget, I think that we were on, um, on Floriana Island, but there are, there are all these crabs, right. And they're on the rocks and they're bright red and it looks so beautiful because they're only a cert, they're only a couple colors in the Galapagos. You know, there's like the blue sky and sea, and then there's white sands. And then occasionally there'll be, you know, they're, unless you're on one of the, one of the lush island, which are younger, the green islands are younger, but if you're on like some of the older islands, it's really just sort of rock. So in this sort of stark setting, stark, you know, fluorescent setting, there are these bright red crabs that I can see from, from forever away. There's nothing else there, you know, and that's something else to say. There are no roads, there are no shops, there are no street signs. Like 
you're walking in the same place. You're walking and you're seeing the same things that Darwin did. So I go down towards the beach and I'm like looking down and then I get really like, I'm just sitting down and I see there was a crab right next to me. And I need to send you guys this video, but he's, he's snacking on a piece of fish, but watching him dine on this, I was like, this is like me. I don't know. This is like me having like sunflower seeds. I don't know. This is me snacking. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? He would like stop, look up at me, continue snacking. And it's just, yeah, you get these, mo- these quiet moments that with animals that it really, it just made me think so much about how we've so fully colonized the rest of the, the rest of the world where you're not going to have an, most animals are now they're they're going to run away from you because we yeah. have decimated them. But then like, even just snorkeling, like I would be in a school of fish and the fish wouldn't dart away. It'd be like swimming through wow. fish. Right. And I've, and I, I love scuba diving because I do feel that you can have more of those experiences particularly if you go deeper, but in the Galapagos, it's just, it's just everywhere. If you love animals, the Galapagos islands are, they're, they're just heaven and you get to observe them in the wild so close to you. Like we would just walk by, they're called mag- magnificent frigate birds. They look at, they look kind of like, they've got these huge red gobbles on their necks that mm-hmm. they open up their wings and it expands like a balloon. And then they yeah. do that when they're mating. You hear, you get to see so many crazy animals will do, as we know as humans, so much to like set, to set themselves apart or when they're mating. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, <laughs> oh, well, you know, this is a regular bird that he's got this little swag he can do to attract other birds. <laughs> and you just, yeah, and you just walk by and there's he's not really- private at all. Yeah, no, no. It's you know what I would almost compare it to is in Kenya when we were on safari and we would drive up in our Jeep to like and I saw like a warthog and a zebra like sleeping. There were a couple lions that were just like taking a nap next to me. They look at the Jeep and then they look away because the Jeeps are part of the landscape there. So it's like I described it. I remember being like, okay, well, the dating life in the Kenyan, you know in the African bush is just like, you know, downtown New York city, you know, just hearing about all of the different, <laughs> all the different types of people, all the drama that's going on, the hierarchy, the rankings. And, but I was like, God, it's like, we're just dropping in on their dinner party. And we don't have much yeah. to provide. Like we're a machine, you know? And that's what it's like in the Galapagos, but you're on foot or you're on flipper. So right. it's just, I, it's the next level. In, in the Galapagos, I noticed that, um, I think it was a picture of you with, I think you had booties on your feet to protect the environment or something like that. I saw that picture somewhere. I think it was yours, but um, kind of tell us what Ecuador does to protect those islands from man. Um, I mean, I know there's like two or 300,000 people that go there and visit every year, but they have some pretty stringent requirements about what you can and cannot do there. Yeah, so just from an overview perspective, they restrict the amount of people who arrive per day. Like you need to get a separate um, permit to arrive in the Galapagos Islands. And when you are on the islands, whatever cruise you stay with, you're going on or whatever hotel you stay on, they stay with, they have a very specific schedule about when each person is visiting each island. So they are going to make sure. So say they have, say, I mean, I'm not a good math person. So say say you had a thousand people, which is not how many they had, but like there'd be no way that there'd accidentally be everyone at Darwin Island on the same day. So even so 
what requires a little bit of advanced planning with the Galapagos is say you have, and I don't think you really need to have like a cherry picked itinerary of what you want to do. You might have to stay on for two weeks because if you're going to go with one cruise, like they only have, they're only permitted by the government to visit at a certain time on a certain day. So that level of scheduling is something that they do. Another is that the fees for littering, like you can't, the fees for littering, you can't bring anything onto each island. Like you step foot on these islands and the whole time you're with a guide. You know, there's no like, I'm just going to cruise around, just chill on. Nobody's picnicking. You're with a guide the whole time and you have to stay with the guide. And it's very much like, I would describe it as like islands that are open for walking safaris. Like that's how they preserve it to the extent that they do. And then beyond that, like the cost, like if you, you can be charged up to $5,000 if you do anything that injures any of the animal residents on the islands. Like what Ecuador is actually like such an interesting case study because between the Andes, the Amazon, the Galapagos, like they, I mean, well, really for, for Ecuador, really the Amazon, the Galapagos, like they started doing this economic preservation before, like a long time ago, you know, like Darwin visited in 1835 and it was very, it was, and for a country that is, you know, like a lot of countries in South America have, have struggled economically for a country that has struggled economically to, to hold on and prioritize this concert, the environmental conservation at a time when it would probably be cheaper for them to put a Hilton, you know what I mean? On Darwin Island, next to Darwin yeah. Island. So there's that level. And then also when you, I think that the main way that they, that they preserve it is by the scheduling with the cruises and the licensed cruises. So but what that does too, is that it means you don't want to like going back to Schitt's Creek. This isn't a beach vacation. You want someone there who's going to be able to guide you through the history a bit and, and give you context. And I think that what they're trying to do a little bit, and they're trying to work it out is that they, it's sort of an, I sort of brought this, brought this up earlier. Like what should be the cost for the permit to visit? Because the goal, the long-term goal there is that it's going to cost a little bit more and they're going to have fewer visitors because yeah. right now, and right now they don't have a ton of visitors, but I mean, I compared it to Bhutan, like there isn't the barrier for entry of visiting. Isn't that is like, like people should be paying $75 a day to be there. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like right now I don't even know if it's $20 and they're trying to limit the number of boats that they, the number of cruises, cause that affects it, you know, like the trails from the boats, mm-hmm. So that, that's sort of the way that they do it. Part, I think the main way, yeah, there's no, there are no hotel, like some islands do have hotels and they do have restaurants and that's where people live. But most of these islands don't have any form of commercial or residential um, buildings on them. So yeah, the easiest way that they were able to conserve it is just like regulating when people can visit. Mm-hmm. And, but when you're on the islands, it's crazy. You can, you can like, you know, we were able to just explore with our guide, but there would be, it would, it, here's the best example. Nobody's on it when you're on it. Like you're not going to go on an Island and be like, Oh, there's another group like 300 feet ahead of us. It's like, it's like your time, you know? Wow. I don't know if that was helpful or not. No, that, that, More that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Michael knows how much I hate snakes. Mm-hmm. And you talked about <laughs> you you talked about the seals and the crab that was there and so on and so on. But I saw a video. I'm not sure if it's across across the islands or if it's just on one island. 
where they have where they have these killer snakes that literally mm-hmm. that literally go after the uh the uh iguanas did you, get a chance, yes. did you get a chance to see that i think i saw a racer snake which are the ones that can like eat birds and it doesn't make sense because their mouths are, look so small. I think that's probably the viral video you might be talking about. Yeah. I So I felt that I saw one. Like, that is one thing you have to look for. Like, and in the Amazon, too. Like, when you're walking around, you know, it's like, okay, you want to stay close together. You want to look down. And you also, like, yeah, you kind of want to see where you, you want to. You don't want to accidentally step near one. Yeah. So I, I think someone, someone had seen one on one of the islands. We sort of moved away. But I heard one. But I never saw, I mean, I feel like a snake situation is when you don't really want to see with your eyes. Like it was like when, yeah, when I was in the Amazon and I was like, I really wanted to see one and I wanted to see like a killer snake. I remember my guide at was like, Katie, that's like not, that's not something that's like wanting to like see a shark when you're in the water. Like, no, but. (laughs) (laughs) Come on guys. You don't want to see the anacondas and in the Amazon jungle and the snakes on the Galapagos. Oh my God. Not at all. I wanted to see a jaguar so badly in the Amazon. I saw one actually in Belize. They have this place. It's called the Belize zoo in Kaya, which Belize Zoo, I think, sounds like it's really a conservation and like animals that are wounded or animals that have been captured and then released. And I saw a jaguar up close and I'm like, I know why expensive cars are called jaguars. Like they're so sleek. They're so beautiful and and vivid. And there are a ton in the Amazon. And we would do these nature walks where I'd walk around with a machete and like my boots and... Actually, the, like in the in um, the Galapagos, like when you're saying talking about what I wore, what you should wear, I would just say pack. Like it's gonna be it's gonna be colder and warmer than you would think, but you don't have to like invest in as much gear. You know, wear if you want like wear lightweight layer layer things. But in the Amazon, I was dying to see a jaguar, and, and um, my one of my guides, Alex, was telling me a story about how he grew up in the Amazon rainforest. Like he grew up 300 miles from um any you know from from manaus which is like the closest city and he was having a barbecue with his with his mom and dad and and his brother and like a jaguar he heard jaguars like in the forest and his Mm -hmm. whole family did and then they were starting to descend and then they ran down and jumped in the into the river and flipped over canoe and had to hide under a canoe while jaguars were standing on top for hours yeah that's that's crazy i know i know okay that's my predator story but then I don't know. There are no people don't have any estimate for how many are, exist in the wild because they're so hard to find. They're so hard to see. Oh yeah, yeah they're no. reclusive. Yeah, like tigers. I did see a tiger in Nepal once, which was really cool. But <laughs> yeah, no, I, there are no real predators in Galapagos. <laughs> yeah, I. You know something that's scary? We you mentioned tigers right now. Uh, back in the nineties, uh, I think I told you I used to run the uh, one of the production facilities for the Travel Channel out of my office in Los Angeles. And one of our producers uh, managed to book a tiger onto the set. Now imagine, oh now imagine you're on a TV set and there's a 500 pound tiger sitting there. I walked out of my office, came down. And I remember our co-host, Tracy, she was so afraid of the tiger was literally five feet behind her when they were doing the segment of the show. And I saw that animal and saw how big it was. I said, you know, I'm going back upstairs to my office and closing the door. That animal was huge when you see it that close. 
And it's amazing to me because, I mean, I did Nepal in the fall 2019 too. And, you know, I did it a month before. I was in Nepal the month before I was in um, the Galapagos. But I have this ring that I wear, which is so funny. It's like a tiger ring. But now, because seeing a tiger in the wild, number one, we all know what a tiger looks like, sadly, from like times that they have been in captivity and like... They're so bright orange and so loudly colored. And the Nepal, the jungles of South Asia, where I was in, um, I saw it in Chitwan, I think, or, or Bardia. No, it was Chitwan. And we, I'm like, how in the hell is this thing going to camouflage? This place is like bright green grass. It's so open. And then there are some rivers and some like yellowish sand. And I'm like, nothing here is orange. Like, I don't understand. So there we were on this bank on the shores and someone was like, there is a tiger across the river. And meanwhile, my, my friend, Jack, who was, who like, he runs the safari camp was so excited. He's like, you have to see a tiger. You have to see a tiger. So we're waiting for like 30 minutes and people are like, okay, it's right there. I'm like in the binoculars, I'm looking and I can't see anything. And then like at an hour later, they're like, oh, it's on the go. And then it starts to move. And it was like this, like, fluorescent orange knife through the grass but when it's not walking it like blends in so much and they and they need so much space the reason it's hard to with tiger conservation so important you know like i don't know like some people require castles like a tiger requires like so many square miles to itself like talk about no new friends like tigers are like i will not exist if another tiger is like in my house in this part so so hard to see but yeah that was and then with tiger king I really still want to do a story called Tiger Queen, like seeing the tigers in the wild and all this stuff. But it's cool. Yeah. Uh, All right. Personal question. Why did you go to the Galapagos in the first place? What was your what what were you thinking? Because it's on my bucket list, by the way. So I just, you know, want to know your thought process about why you wanted to go there. So the reason I'd always wanted to go to the Galapagos Islands, and I think this is actually going to be relevant for people looking to travel now after the pandemic is that I do feel like there are certain places in the world that are just un that you were that are so distinct to where they are and the history there. And oftentimes I find that if something becomes iconic and everyone sort of knows about it as this thing, I've been I've been to 64 countries. I have never been to a place that people are like, this is spectacular, that's like world renowned and it doesn't live up to it. Like, and I in my opinion, like the Galapagos Islands are up there with the Himalayas in Nepal you know, the Great Wall of China, um, you know what I mean? Like the Trans-Siberian Railroad, like, you know, but it's also with the, Gal- but beyond that with the Galapagos, I had always had it abstractly as something I wanted to do. I'd actually never been to South America before this, what year was this? I think it was literally 2019. And it's so funny because in Europe, I, you know, my friends in Europe would be like, it is literally your backyard, you know, and they're always going to Argentina. And a lot of Europeans do go to South America. And I don't know why I hadn't been. And that, as a travel writer, that was a goal for, of mine for that year. I was like, I'm going to explore South America. I'm going to see what this is all about. And it started out, I went on a, on a, like, I sailed the Amazon River in Brazil, which was really cool. And then I did the Amazon and it was amazing. And I was like, I got to do more. And then I went and I hiked in the Andes in Peru. And then I'd heard so much about Ecuador because Ecuador has more bird species than like all of Europe. And like, there's a lot, I love international, I love in like intercountry gossip. Like I love going somewhere in Sweden and being like, what about the Danes? Like, I love hearing the stereotypes and like hearing people sort of chirp about one another. And yeah, like 
in the Amazon, the Brazil, Brazil is the largest part of the Amazon, but Ecuador is like, they're like, we have the most geographic diversity. So then I started researching a bit more about Ecuador. And I mean, what I found to be fascinating about Ecuador was not just the fact, you know, it is small, it's towards the north, it has so much diversity, but also the Galapagos Islands that are part of Ecuador, that Ecuador is preserved are almost just like, it's like the, it's like the Iguana's Republic of Galapagos. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like learning more about it. Like, yeah. and I just had to go because I had this image in my head about what it would be. And that image was sort of like, it was sort of abstract, you know, just beautiful islands, some cool animals. But I just, I knew it was going to be something more based on the fact that it had become so iconic in conservation circles. Like when I was in Nepal and I said I was going to go to the Galapagos, everyone I talked with and they are in conservation. They're like, well, that's the Mecca. So it was just one of those places. It was like, I went, it was just up, it was just on there. And then what was, what, what was important to me too, was that, you know, I had that was that where I was staying was going to be like, obviously every place in me eco, but like to the next level and also sort of speak to a new experience there because some people do Galapagos is if you want to have a luxury vacation and, and an interesting adventurous one, you can do both at Pacaya Lodge, which is where I stayed. And I thought that was an interesting angle where, you know, you can be in this luxury lodge where, you know, they have you, they have this movie theater sort of area where we watched David Attenborough's like whole thing on the Galapagos, which was cool, but you can do that and you can have these sort of days off. And then you can also go out and explore on their, on their, on their ship. So I was like, and a lot of people, you know, either you have, I have a lot of friends who are younger, who are, I mean, around my age, like traveling too. And they were like, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to scrape my way there and and get there. But then I feel like there's also an audience of people who might be sort of turned off about the idea of like living on the boat the whole time. And I wanted to, and it's like sort of a newer offering. Like it's the, it's the first luxury eco resort in Santa Cruz. So I knew the story angle was there and I, I just loved it. Like I, I'm, it's like walking into Disney world of animals. Like you're, you're, you know, you're, it's, I feel like it's an experience everyone should have because I feel like it's going to, it changes people's purse. I obviously I think everyone knows, oh, animals are good. Like we need to save them. Do you know what I mean? Like they just did the study with whales, I guess, with blue whales. When blue whales die, they take so much carbon down. Like it's good for the earth. It's good for, but seeing the Galapagos, it makes you realize how abnormal it is that, you know, we have established ourselves as the predator animal and quicker when we made fire, we just leaped up so much higher and it disrupted this sort of natural way that like the animal life that he, that life had evolved on this planet for hundreds of years. Oh my God. I'm trying to think of the name of this book. Sapiens. I think it's sapiens. Oh my God. Wait, I should have remembered this before I started talking about this. Um, sapiens, a brief history of humankind. Read that when you're in the, yeah. it's a lot of it is in the, is a lot of it is in the Galapagos. Um, and it's like, yeah, you get this, you get like more of a perspective of like a perspective of sort of how unnatural it is that we live in cities. And like, you're lucky if you see a squirrel and that squirrel's going to dart from you, you know, it makes you rethink other animal interactions. Like, why is the squirrel running away when I've got this crab enjoying his meal right next to me? Wow. That's interesting. All right. I'm going to, we're going to start from the beginning. I'm Catherine. I want to plan a trip to the Galapagos. How do I start? what are the things that uh, let's plan out a whole trip from your, wherever you're living right now, because you move around all over the place. I don't know what city you're in. 
Um, let's just plan this trip. Where do you start? How much in advance? Kind of walk us through what, what you went through to, to plan this out. So the first thing I would do is I would decide what kind of um, trip I wanted to do. If I wanted to do a cruise or if I wanted to do a lodge. And then from there, once you've identified that, my advice would be, it's hard. If you've never been to the Galapagos Islands before, the way that I sort of look at things is that the people who live there are going to know more than I do. So like I've gone to countries before I've had a preconceived notion about my itinerary. And then when I've got, but I usually defer to the people whose entire jobs is to plan these itineraries. So what I'm saying is I would look at different, different, different itineraries, I think is important because what, what's nice about Pacaya, where I, what I did is that you can prioritize what kind of trips you want to do because these, because the ships depart every day from, from, um, the lodge, you work with someone to tailor. Okay. It's important for me that I go, it's important. Like I want to go out to sea and I want to, I want to go scuba diving or I'm going to go, or I want to go to this one particular Island. So it's more customizable that way. But if you do a cruise, they're usually preset itineraries. And from there, I would just research. If you're interested in scuba diving, I think makes a big difference. And if you're, then if you're not, because you can go further out, but it's like, I think an act, I think it's a two day boat trip that you can really go scuba diving with sharks. But if you're not into scuba diving, then I would really sort of make sure that you're hitting the 13 major islands. And most of the itineraries would do that. Second thing I would do is, I mean, at this point in life, I feel like I'd book for this fall or winter, hopefully. I would also look, if you're booking right now, into different airfare deals. Because you can also lock in prices and be able to like move, like move the trip back forever and forever. I actually think you can do that um, I know Pacaya was doing deals, but I would actually look into almost booking it now and roll back because a lot of these tourism, a lot of these hotels, a lot there, everything is, every part of the tourism industry is struggling. And what they're dealing with is that, you know, we know that there's going to be liquid, that there's going to be a cash influx later when borders reopen, but it's surviving until that later. So a lot of places are actually open to you booking your trip, buying your trip now, locking in a price and going on it later. So that is what I would do. Um, I mean, I'm thinking like the, you need to go to Bartolome, which is like probably the most iconic image of the Galapagos. If you have it in your mind is like with Isabella, with these, like just the views, the insane, that's where I saw the boobies and the crabs, et cetera. And as a human now, <laughs> this is a huge travel tip. And I don't know if people even have time where quarantine, maybe this is possible. I think that you'd be remiss not to go scuba diving in the Galapagos Islands, like just based on my experience snorkeling. So I would, I know there are some outfitters that will give you like an adventure, a scuba adventure for one day, even if you don't have your license and like, you know, they, you can count towards your license. That is my biggest regret was that I didn't go diving. So I feel like that would be either, I would try to get my diving license before, Mm -hmm. or I would see if there are beginner guided dives just because and what I saw snorkeling, I was like, I got to go further down. But yeah, I would, if I were planning it for today, I'd probably truly realistically book it soon because it is an expensive trip. Um, it's expensive compared to, it's expensive compared to like, you know, just, it's not like a weekend in Paris or like a weekend at the beach, you know? So, and you have to, it's quite easy to get your permit. Like it's almost like getting your permit to go to Kenya. Like you fly into Guayaquil and you get it at the airport. Oh, and I would also, 
I would book a, a stay in, in Guayaquil for a couple days, three days. Um, it's really cool city. People usually fly through Guayaquil or through Quito and I recommend Guayaquil. So yeah, that's what I would do. What is this, um, so what is social life like on there? And how difficult is it to get residency there? Is that, I would imagine, you know, there's, there's some control by the government and, um, you know, so I'm sort of curious about the food, you know, is there a traditional Galapagos dish? Oh, Oh, just one thing. Stay at the Hotel Del Park in Guayaquil. That is the best, one of the, my favorite hotels I've ever visited, and it's close enough to the airport. Oh, okay. Um, okay, so if you're in San, so I would say like where I saw the most like culture, human culture would be like in Santa Cruz, which is where Pacaya is. Yeah. And yeah, that's like the food is like, you know, sort of like traditionally South American, like traditional Ecuador, Ecuadorian food, I would say. Um, and we didn't go like, what was cool was because, you know, we were staying in this resort versus like, I guess, I'm sure if you're on the boat with guides, you also get a sense of the culture. But, you know, everyone who lived there, a lot of people either like split their time between like Quito or Guayaquil and, um, and the Galapagos. There are a lot of people who work, who are in tourism, who will split like six months, six months. But there are like some nights of the week in downtown um, Santa Cruz, there are like these like all like cool outdoor pretty much everyone is dining outdoors and almost just sort of like a little street street dining fair they're cool i saw like some cool art galleries the people there are a lot of people who've lived in the galapagos islands for generations and mm -hmm. it's not easy to move there like it's very difficult to sort of live there on a permanent basis because they're trying to discourage people like they like because it's such a precarious balance with keeping these islands the way that they are, that having more human residents, even though like you also need that for the restaurants, you need that for the airport is mm -hmm. difficult. So the biggest thing I've been hearing of and been talking about is how they're trying to entice people or how they're going to deal with the, the po human population keeps growing. Mm -hmm. And like the people who live there now are having more and more children. So it's more, yeah, it's more of an exodus and, it's a little bit interesting in terms of like, and this is something I wish I almost did more of and I would do more of if I had more time there, is mm -hmm. getting a sense of the culture because it is such an, it's such an eco trip and it's such a, it's such an animal conservation outdoors trip mm -hmm. that I felt that I spent most of the time on island. I spent most of the time on islands where other human beings just simply don't live. Right. So but everyone I met was like super, super cool. The passion that people have there people know why the Galapagos is the Galapagos. Like there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of pride and Island pride. And like, this is the most, this is the most special place on earth for like life. You know what I mean? For human life. So you do get that energy too. And the people, the people that I met were so passionate and like, it's not, and I think that it's like, it's like school, but school beyond that. It takes, you know, I can listen to someone like Champy was describing how, um, the pacaya was called the pacaya because this organism that was like three, like 530 million years old. And suddenly I'm emotionally invested in it. And he like, I don't know, he preached a lot about like island mindset. He's like in the Galapagos, we don't have everything. He's like, you gotta, he's like, he told me I need to pack with an island mindset. Cause I, you know, I always end up bringing a big camera 
And I've heard, I feel like the bigger the lens, the bigger the jerk. I never end up using it. He was like (laughs) making fun of me. He's like, Katie, you've been wearing the same jacket for a week. He's like, but you have all these options. And I was like, I know, I didn't know. He's like, you need to have an island mentality. He's like, and that's sort of like what he was talking about in the Galapagos. He's like, people here have like a very, you know, I don't know, flexible and just like, yeah, it's not, he's like, if I want to, you can't eat everything. It's not all the food is available here. You know, not, not everything you want. There's isn't as much entertainment available as they have in like most other places in the world. So you sort of find that entertainment, but it's just, I can't even like, I remember we were walking along a beach and the, and the sandwiches so by and all of these crazy iguanas, I'm saying like, I would just look at the water and I probably saw a hundred, 300 iguanas, you know, like there's just, it's spectacular. But yeah, there is, I don't know. I love, I love like, I love the food in Ecuador and just South America in general. But I felt like I was eating like, I don't, I felt like the food at Pacaya was like just so next level because, you know, it is a luxury resort and they have amazing chefs and everything was just like, you know, there's definitely like seafood, but also like just that, but that sort of like South American palate but right. like just highly done super, super, super well. And that's where I had most of my meals. So. Right. I mean, e- Ecuador in and of itself is just like this unique ecosystem on the planet because you've got, like you say, you got the Andes. If anybody doesn't know this, the Andes are the second highest mountain range in the world. And, you know, I think Quito sits at what, seven, 8,000 feet above sea level, just the city itself. And then you've got the headwaters of the Amazon. Guess where mm-hmm. they start? Ecuador. You got mm-hmm. all of this, this, this the um, biodiversity that just makes it such a unique place to exist. And it's funny because, you know, you look at it, it's just south of the equator. Oh, it's warm here. No, it's not. When you're 7,000 feet above sea level, I don't care what time of day it is. Sometimes it could be a little cool. And then when you get out into the Pacific Ocean, you know, I know this from living in California, there's a cold water current just offshore that cools everything off. When you go out to the Galapagos on the boat, was it, uh, you went in December. So that's, Technically, there's summertime down there. Uh, but it was you, chilly at points. It was what? It was chilly at points. It got cold. Yeah, it, it got exactly. really hot and then really cold. Yeah. It, exactly. I, I remember when I was living in um, Colorado, it would be 95, 96 degrees in the summertime during the day. But at night, it was in the low 40s. And that was That's normal. <laughs> yeah. It's the same size as Nevada, Ecuador is, which makes it all the more insane when you think about the Amazon, the Andes, Galapagos. But also, I would I would compare it to the Nevada temperature a bit. It's almost like desert, desert mm-hmm. life. Like, it's going to be really, really insanely hot. And, you, like, I didn't bring a pair. I didn't bring a pair of shorts I like. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't like my shorts. So I was, like, in pants all the time. And it was just, like, hellish. But then at least, like, but then at night, I would be wearing... I mean, I'd have my sweater, my vest, my jacket, my scarf, my hat, you know, it does, it does get like that. I'm fascinated by Ecuador and I want to, I mean, I don't know this movie that I really recommend people watch is called embrace the serpent. And it is, it's black and white. Don't get turned off by that. It actually, well, not, I'm not going to get it. Dave, Dave and I are old. We don't get turned off by black and white. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it's, it's made recently and it is made by, I think it's the, the director, the filmmaker, his, he is from the Amazon. Like his family is from, I think like the first one generation back or two generation back from the Amazon rainforest. And it is phenomenal. And it goes into like sort of the life in the Amazon and it's called, it's called embrace the serpent, watch it immediately. But every part of, every part of South America has a distinct Amazonian, every part of 
has a distinct Amazonian culture. You know, like I feel like I got to see a lot of it in Amazonas in Brazil, but just like, I think that is just like a wonderful introduction to like the Amazon, like the Amazon part of Ecuador. And then also like, it is the size of Nevada. Like you can see, it would be cool. I almost feel like to just do a trip where you hit the one, two, three in Ecuador. You know what I mean? Like, and that's something that like, it is compared to like, I mean, Brazil is huge. Like we had to fly. I took multiple flights within Brazil to even get where I was going. But but Galapagos, you need at least one or two weeks. I say go to the Galapagos first if it's a bucket list. And also because, I mean, it's never that crowded, but I'm sure that like when you're coming back now, like it's going to be extra pristine after, you know, they, the population like doesn't quite, it like goes over by like 10 times the size based on it's like almost, it's such a small percentage of the people on the Galapagos at any given time of residence. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at it now and you're like, there hasn't, there haven't been as many tourists, they need the tourism. So go. Yeah. I mean, going back, going back to your earlier point, um, you know, tourism is either first, second or third top industry by country in the world. Every country is either one, two or three in terms of their number one industries. And when you see a country like Ecuador, which quite frankly, is probably extremely dependent on tourism. And yeah. then we're going through this pandemic. Those, those people have got to be suffering economically. Um, and, and a funny thing about all that is, is that they're able to deal with their suffering a little bit better than us Americans who are spoiled by having every damn thing. I know. I find that to be, and I know you guys are in the industry, so you fully understand this, but people can really dismiss travel as a 1% luxury. And it's yeah. something that, and I, I also blame a little bit even though I think anything that gets people to travel is good because I think travel ultimately is, I need mean, to quote Mark Twain. I think it's fatal to hatred, bigotry, narrow mindedness. Like you can't have this, like you can't have this perspective of the other. And like, it's impossible to, to travel. I feel and not be, not recognize another person's humanity in a way. Right. And, and so I think it's so important on that level. And I, I feel like with the influencers, you know, it can get such a bad rap, but it's like, it's not only important, I think, for the development of humans in general, like you need to get out of your own bubble. You need to recognize the world is big. With the Galapagos, I mean, for me, and I had always been interested in like environmental cons- conservation and all these, but it's almost like seeing firsthand evolution. It is like seeing, you sort of get the sense of you're going back in time 200 years, you know, and this is what it was like then in terms of how animals and humans interact. But it's also the economy. And like when people are like, People are like, well, stay home. It's safer. You should, but like, you also need to recognize this is why I say like, probably book your, book your trip now. Like that tourism. Yeah. Like even places like Australia, one in six people in Australia works in, works in the tourism industry. Like even places we don't even think are impacted, but you know, I was in Dominica in 2018, which is one of my favorite Caribbean islands ever of all time. Like, but they, so they're called the nature Island. They've got like 13, they've got eight of the Caribbean's 13 active volcanoes. It's, and what's fascinating is, I mean, a lot of the indigenous people of the Caribbean were wiped out because the conquistadors came and Spain essentially said in like 1536, if you capture a Carib, they're your slave, they're yours. And so places like Barbados that are really flat and and Anguilla, very flat that, you know, that culture didn't survive. But Dominica, is so mountainous and has so many rainforests and waterfalls and volcanoes that like they did and that it, population still exists today. And I went to like their, they opened a museum, like the Go Heritage Museum. And they were like, we have survived floods, hurricanes, conquistadors, you know, and it's just, it was yeah. fascinating and so cool. And now like, 
basically after I forget which hurricane they're horrible, but after 2017, some of the cruises stopped going to Dominica mm-hmm. and they like my driver, Norma, who was also my guide. And like the people I talked to the Conego center, their lives were just directly impacted even more. So like they had to rebuild their homes from the hurricane, but then it's yeah. like, oh, I'm making a third of what I used to make. So I think, yeah, travel has a human cost too when you're not doing it. So I can't wait to be part of the next wave of people that's going to be like, go, like you're working remotely. You've been home forever. You, we don't know what's happening in the world now. You can't be like, oh, I'll go to Kenya in five years when I've saved up. You know, you can't now, I feel like people can't take for granted the opportunity to travel. So yeah, no, and it, it, it's sad. I, I just heard from a friend of mine. I think she was going on a Viking cruise someplace in Europe. They've been paying for it for five years, and now she can't go. Uh, oh yeah, we'll 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 give you a hundred percent toward the next cruise, but you know who knows when the hell that's going to be because I think the rest of the industry is going to recover faster than the cruise line industry. Well, I think that the government needs to step in, honestly, because that's asking a lot of private citizens who a lot of them have lost their jobs to be like, okay, we need to keep this afloat, but like. In the same way that, in the same way that, like, we should be paying our artists and our creatives. You know what I mean? Like Berlin, the Berlin like artist grant was so amazing. It was like, okay, you're you're covered. I think that at this point, like, I think we've seen that small government, whatever. We thank God we're free of Trump, but we've seen what it's like when government doesn't care, and it's terrifying. And like, I think that there needs to be more. I think that my most encouraging things when I've worked with governments and tourism agencies is seeing how hand in hand they are with the local owners, with the local hotel owners, with the local operators. And ultimately for a lot of these places, the hospitality drives the entire economy. Turks and Caicos, they're like, we our only export is happiness. You know, so if that is your only export, I feel like the, I feel like governments need to step in more for the people, for the people yeah. who are driving that economy. That's that's true. Well uh you've given us a guided tour to the Galapagos Islands. You've given us a wealth of information. And I gather from this conversation that you probably would agree that the best vacation to the Galapagos um, is a cruise vacation. Am I correct? So I, so here's the thing. I actually really like the Pacaya because you can do both. Like if, when we're talking about the culture, like you can do the Santa Cruz, like you can like go into town, like you can have that experience, but you can cater it, tailor it a bit more. My ideal vacation would be this. Go to Pacaya for a week, get to do sort of like these, get to sort of do the loop of the main nearest islands, go out on their, on their expedition for, for a two-week trip and go dive in. I would do a mix or, but if you only, yeah, or the, cru- the cruises are good too. Uh, I don't know. I would, but that's, yeah, I would, I would consider doing... I would I would consider tacking on getting your diving license and going on an expedition later. But I don't know. I'm loyal to I'm loyal to Pacaya because I did. Okay. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll now, now when you say cruise, just we're not talking about the traditional cruise with three thousand passengers on it. Describe no. what a traditional cruise to the Galapagos. Right. Let's try that again. Galapagos well, looks like. <laughs> it looks like nothing that you're thinking about when you're thinking about a cruise it does it's not a steam liner it's not like you've got a movie theater on there and you've got you know thousands of it's not a floating suburb you know what i mean right. like it's okay. really it's it's they're like smaller they have smaller they have smaller groups of passengers so 
Okay. So for the Pacaya, their boat, right. Which was just like, so great. There were like 10 of us on there, you know, and that was it. Maybe we had 12 people, but it was still like, it was like a beautiful, a beautiful ship where it was like, we had a hot tub on the top and like a whole diving area, but it's, it's much smaller and it's much more one-to-one. And when you do any cruise in the Galapagos, they don't allow, they don't allow like a hundred people on Isabella at like, you know, just to walk around. So it's always going to be more intimate. And I think that it also, if you are someone who's like rearing to go and wants to go like diving and seeing everything, you will also have these options where, yeah, it's going to be a longer trip. I guess the, the thing I'd compare it most to is I did a cruise. Te- it was technically a cruise in the Amazon and it was, but I think, you know what people call it like eco cruises, eco, eco adventure cruises. And I yeah. think that that sort of summarizes it really well. Cause I mean, you could do a really luxury cruise in the Peruvian Amazon. You know what I mean? You can be on a place that's going to be, but when it's an eco adventure type of program, it's going to be much more like you're going on, you're going on like jungle walks. You're going on the island. It's much more catered towards like getting you off the boat and exploring. And it's, and it's smaller and it's more educational. And in these situations, I think context makes it more interesting. And I got some people are like, well, I don't need educational. Like, but even the Amazon gets boring if you don't have context. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I would. Right. So, so yeah. So I feel like I feel like where the where the cruise industry in general in the Galapagos can attract it attracts a lot of people who are sort of more adventurous, less prissy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. a little bit more willing to stay at sea. And the Pacaya is a luxury op- opportunity for that. And if you're spending more time there, then I think it's good to have like it was cool to explore the island of Santa Cruz and like get to know that one island better. Cause you know, you've got the downtown and then I don't, there's like a really cool mist that happens in the Galapagos. It's like this cool fog. And then we would drive up to the top of the mountain, the top of this hill where we were that overlooked the rest of the islands. And then like the fog would clear and it was just, it was just beautiful. And it's, yeah, it's, it's fun. It's fun to have more time on these, on some of the islands that are inhabited. It so. sounds like somebody needs a return trip. Yeah. I know, I, I know. I've made I made a lot of friends there too. That like, I that um like my friend Adrian who and he is like one of the people who manages the Pacaya and he splits his time between like Guayaquil and and Galapagos and yeah, there's just a lot of like Ecuadorian pride in in the Galapagos. So well, for anybody who doesn't know Catherine, she makes friends everywhere, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> and the and is one thing that other countries don't have, you know, so many try to, so many people can claim the Andes, you know, and the Amazon, but like, I forgot who I was talking to. They were like, well, you know, Brazil's cool, but like Brazil doesn't have the Galapagos. And I'm like, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to ask you what's the most memorable experience that you've had there, but from listening to you, I sense that, they all <laughs> that you just can't name one. They all memorable. Uh, I would say the sea. I would say I would say the sea lion swimming up to me. You don't think this, but they're terrifying. Like so, I'm in the water, and this thing, this animal is there's something up to like 300 pounds comes directly at me, and I was like, and I was, I Adrian was near me, um, and he was in the water near me, and I was like, okay, I'll be whatever. But you just have to like be chill. But so I was trying to beat shell because I feel like that's sort of the move is like, if like you are around a big ant, but then it was playing, it swirled around me and it swarmed under me. And then left and Adrian was like, oh yeah, like he liked you. They were just saying hi. And like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if anyone else has had a sea lion come up and dance with them underwater. Like that was crazy. 
you know. no, I'm, I'm used to the California sea lions where they will attack you if you get too close. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if oh, you, yeah. if you, like if you go to San Francisco and you're down at the harbor there and stuff like that, and you see all these sea lions just sitting there laying on the dock, you don't dare get close to them. No, no. That, and I actually got close to them when I was at uh, Pebble Beach. At, at yeah. the golf course, because, you know, they come out of the water and they sit there sometimes right on the beach while you're playing golf right next to them. And uh, one of them kind of looked at me like, you're not getting any closer to me. Yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> stats, like I was close to one and I was like, if you we were in a fight, this they would win. But I do want to note that it looks like nowhere else. Like some of the some of the water looks like the Hawaiian cobalt blue. Yeah. But then you'll turn a corner and they'll be like literally like aquamarine but like fluorescent like bright blue like it's not just one sea like there's the gradient colors of the water the colors of the islands like and they were all volcanic and yeah and just it's like it's it looks like an instagram filter it looks like it you know what i mean it doesn't look real when you're when you're going around and it's one of those places in the world that yeah it needs to be seen to be believed and not too many back to amazon but amazon is great i think it's the best at night but like just in like a sheer visual level, when you're deep in the Amazon, Amazon's about its scale. You don't get the sense of almost where you are so much as in the Galapagos. Like you feel far away too. Like I remember I thought the most remote island in the world is Hawaii. I know that's why I just like literally researched and wrote about it. But for me, the most island in the world, the most remote island in the world felt like Darwin Island in the Galapagos. Like I felt like right. I was off the planet. So in the remaining seconds we have left, uh, first of all, did we forget anything that you wanted to highlight about the Galapagos? Is there something we didn't touch on that uh, you think is important that everybody needs to know? I, I don't think so. I feel like I've babbled. I've <laughs> <laughs> Babbling is allowed. You've got some amazing experiences. And now because of COVID and we can't travel as often as we would like to, do you ever write any stories based on your experiences and the, the the fantastic stories that you were telling us? Yeah. So I feel like there's always a desire for like ever, what I call like evergreen travel stories. Like I feel travel is such a big umbrella, but like mm -hmm. my, I'm not going to necessarily, I'm not going to read a story about like the 10 best beaches in Turks and Caicos unless right. like I've got a flight booked, but right. like I'll read a story about, I like to read essays about like someone's personal experience there. Cause I feel yes. like, and with that, people have talked a lot about this with like voices and perspective matter. There's no, I'm, I cannot offer a third, a third person perspective on a place because I inherently am me going to it. And I feel like people want to feel like they were there. They want to meet. And for me, often those stories about people, like I did an interview with um, Danny Donnellan who pretty much was very much involved in like saving traditional Caribbean sailing, like Caribbean sloop sailing in Grenada. And like stories like that are never going to go away. So I still get to right. do them. I think people are realizing that, like, I don't think it was, I think it's kind of ridiculous how New York Times canceled their travel section. Oh, that and, was terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I understand like, but I'm just like, people need to travel. Like reading is the original form of travel. Like I want to go so badly to Mongolia and Tan Tasmania based on these stories that I read. I don't know. Tasmania, the story I wrote, I read about Tasmania. I read, I read it 13 years ago. And I just talked to like, I'm hopefully going to go next year if it is open, but like it stayed with me. And like, it's like how we talked about how also travel is like, is good for you as a human. I think it's like good to like recognize that you are just like one person and like, there's a huge world out there and like open your eyes to other cultures. And also like, we're so stuck with ourselves at home. 
I don't need to read about like another white girl who's bored at her parents' house. <laughs> like I would rather read about something else. <laughs> so. It made me swallow my own vomit. What? Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I don't need to hear about that anymore either. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, the taste in my mouth. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I usually ask this question of people, but I'm afraid to ask it of you only because I know what we're facing. But what is next for you? I mean, you know, we're, we're kind of all sitting here waiting around trying to figure out inventive ways to promote travel and tourism and promote getting back out and seeing the world again. And yet we're sitting on our behinds at home. Um, and because of COVID, your case, because of a snowstorm now, uh, I mean, you, you can't do anything. So, I mean, what is, I'm going to rephrase the question a little bit. What is your outlook for the rest of this year? When do you think that you're going to be able to get out and I won't take it back to normal, but start to do something? I think that fall, I think the earliest would maybe be September for me to start traveling. No. When I look down, when I look at this year, like, I, I write about other topics aside from travel too, but I'm writing a series of author. I'm interviewing different like authors who are speaking at this book festival. And um, I just interviewed um, David Michaelis, who just wrote like the first single volume biography of Eleanor Roosevelt. If that made your eyes glaze over, it's actually really lit and really good. And like, it's oh, really okay. interesting. And he was like, and I was like, how have you thrived in lockdown? He's like, I feel like I feel like the pandemic has been somewhat of a gift for writers, but every writer I ask that question to, it, it depends. So part of me is like really looking at it as like, I'd ideally love to like sell a book proposal on my travels. So like part of me is looking at it as really trying to capitalize on my writing. I'm lucky I'm still writing. I know a lot of people who aren't, but like every month I have like 10 or 12 stories I'm doing. So I just keep plugging along there. And i think that travel I've been invited on international trips and I've had to say no because I just don't I've read enough pieces that are like we don't have enough hospital beds like don't come to our island and bring COVID and leave and I just I think as much as we need to promote travel I do feel that in my opinion we are so close I hope it's gonna be September maybe it's a little bit longer so I'm just trying to focus on writing and being productive (laughs) until then I'm going out to Wyoming in a week and that'll be nice because I'll be able to like do more outdoorsy things there and continue writing about the West. But my friend Taylor Lorenz also wrote this thing for the New York times. It was like, stop trying to be productive. She was like, we are also in a plague, like go easy on yourself. And I think I'm probably like a lot of people because everyone is almost a freelancer now working from home where I alternate by being like, I, I almost feel guilty feeling like the pandemic is going to end. What have I shown for it? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And then I'll alternate, I'll alternate between being extremely productive and then some days where I'm just like, you know, it's glad, it's hard to be motivated when you can't leave the house. And I sometimes yeah. feel like busyness begats more busyness. Like I thought about my life before because I've struggled with deadlines and I'm like, I've got nothing going. Like <laughs> I've got literally <laughs> nothing to do. But it was almost easy for me to file a deadline in like a German airport at 2 a.m. on my way somewhere because you, you build it into your life versus... I've read uh, this, I've interviewed this um, writer, Victoria Schwab, and she was like, you know, in quarantine, we have like a ton of time, but not a ton of inspiration. And usually we have a ton of inspiration, not a ton of time. So who knows? Yeah, I'm I'm there with you. I've I've actually it, it took me about six or seven months to kind of get my legs under me after COVID struck 
trying to figure out what to do. So I'm involved in a Spanish class now. So I'm trying to relearn a language that I spoke fluently as a child. Oh, cool. uh, and I also, I used to write screenplays, but I've been out of it for a while and I've got three stories I want to do. So I'm actually uh, just signed up to start taking a, a uh, class on writing screenplays um so and i can do it all online and things like that so i'm trying to find little things to to kind of reinvigorate me a little bit in preparation for what's coming uh hopefully like you said in the fall but yeah I, i'm I, I i find now that i'm able to like oh this is pretty exciting spanish i remember some of these words or the screenplay so yeah i'm, I'm being inventive too so you know and then doing this podcast for dave and i is also one of the ways that we're trying to keep in touch with the industry we love but we still can't you know, do it. I right. love you guys are my favorite podcast. I love it. I love listening to it. I oh, love thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, okay. Wine for you. <laughs> we, we didn't pay her to say that by the way <laughs> we like to have fun you know that's what i think makes it exciting um being informative but at the same time being funny mm-hmm. absolutely oh. Well, Catherine, it, uh, we've had you on for an hour plus already, and I think it's time we let you go back to your boring life of shoveling snow. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you're probably still in your pajamas. I know that's what everybody does. Yes. Actually, I'm in pajama pants. I put on a sweater on the – I can't remember the last time that I cut on a full outfit. Oh, okay. Well, well – <laughs> We are glad. (laughs) Well, we are glad you came back to us. We love you. I think I could speak for Dave when I say that. Oh, Um, most certainly. Love you guys too. Thank you. We absolutely adore you, and um, uh, good luck out there in Montana. I know uh, you're not that. You won't be that far from me when you get there, although it will be cold. Um, But uh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm glad you came back. Um, You know, and we will help you wherever we can. Um, you know, and uh, hopefully you will return the favor and help us out as well. I think we all should just stay in touch. We've got so many more stories to bring you. Yeah. Or, or you can bring us too. So uh, I, I think uh, you should probably plan on coming back sometime soon. Yes, I would love that. That, yeah, I do have, it's fun to do. It's fun to dedicate an entire chat to one place. Cause I feel like it's easy sometimes to just, and even in this talk, even in our conversation, we talked about other places too, but I think it's fun to like dive into one trip for sure. Yeah. And that was actually a pivot Dave and I made earlier this year, trying to get people more uh, targeted, more yeah, targeted. targeted instead of yeah. just bouncing around from place to place because you learn more. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. How to do it. So anyway, my dear, again, <laughs> we appreciate it. And thank you so much. And if you want to follow some of Catherine's writings, you can just simply go to her website, CatherineParkerMagyar.com. And uh, she has her website looks fantastic, by the way. And she has some great, great stories, not just about Galapagos, but I mean, you've heard you heard part of what she's where she's been already. So uh, she's probably got a story on it out there somewhere. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap it up for today. For Dave Cumberbatch, this is Michael Gordon Bennett. We're saying so long and we'll see you next week.